Chase Daniel and the Chicago Bears lose a thriller in the Meadowlands on Sunday before they face their biggest challenge yet this season in the Los Angeles Rams coming to town this Sunday. And then I went on to miss almost every single pick of Week 13. It's all coming to you on this week's episode of Bear With Me. Now, before we get to our review of the Giants game, our preview of the Rams game, and all our coverage of a crazy week 13 of NFL action, I did just want to say that there are plenty of media outlets out there that are going to give you all the opinions, all the information, and everything to do with Kareem Hunt, and I am not one of them. This show is all about the Bears uh, and the NFL, and I keep you long enough talking about those two things, and right now Kareem Hunt isn't actually a part of either. So until he is, I won't address what is or isn't going on. There's just no need to get into it. So to get to the Giants game, this one is pretty simple to me. So I had the Bears winning by seven, assuming Mitch Trubisky was going to be playing, and they got me again. This is the second week in a row that the Bears have told me by Monday night that Mitch is going to play, and then they switch it up on me and put in Chase Daniel, who I said would beat the Giants by three, and he would have had he not given the Giants seven extra points. I remember telling y'all that 23 seemed like the magic number to me. The Bears just needed to score 23 offensive points. And given that they went to overtime at 27 to 27, I stand by that. The Giants scored 20 points in a half, and their defense scored seven more off of one of the worst throws we've seen this season. So... My opinions on this game aren't going to be super nice, but I like to hope that they're going to be pretty fair. Chase Daniel played really, really poorly. And while I understand that he threw for over 250 yards, I also watched the game and know that he started the game where in the first half, if not the first like 20 minutes of the game, he threw four completely interceptable balls two of which were dropped by the Giants. So that's two picks, two dropped picks, so to speak. And when we're not in the business of counting dropped picks, but just wait for this. So then Chase adds another fumble later in the game that he falls on. And then, of course, there's that infamous three-fumble overtime drive. If you count up all the different times that Chase Daniel almost lost the ball for the Bears, it is eight compared to his one touchdown. 26 for 39, 285 yards and a touchdown is pretty great, but all those turnovers are what makes a backup quarterback the backup quarterback. This is another classic week in which we saw that Mitch Trubisky adds a whole lot more to this offense than meets the eye. If nothing else, Mitch brings stability and the ability to run the ball, which Chase Daniel didn't. Not to mention, for a wily veteran like Daniel, who's supposed to have complete knowledge of this Nagy playbook, he sure looked really lost out there at times. There were a few of those sacks he took where he was wandering around like he had no idea where anybody was going to be. And while I understand him not having the timing with the receivers that Mitch made, he just looked lost. That's okay. I mean, this is a guy making his second start. I don't hate him as a human being, but I certainly can't look at his performance from Sunday and say, wow, Chase, you played great. He was a big part of the problem. When you're under center, you got a whole lot of scrutiny on you. And if you commit eight potential turnovers, your team's going to have a rough day. 
Now, it certainly didn't help anything that Daniels' turnover issues weren't the only turnover issues that the team had. Uh, Taylor Gabriel added a fumble that he actually lost, and Tariq Cohen added a sixth fumble that he, he also recovered. So that's six fumbles by the Bears, five of which they got back, and four potential picks, two of which the Giants dropped. This could have been a lot worse from the offense. We're lucky it wasn't, but ultimately this definitely looked to me like an offensive performance where the team just didn't come out ready. They didn't come out with their leader at the helm. It's one that you can throw away. You see young teams lose games like this all the time. I don't want to be the guy who's like, hey, everything's okay. But if this if this same Bears team shows up against the Rams, we're going to get annihilated. And at that point, we can point and say, you guys don't belong. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I think this is a young team. They don't know how to win yet. They don't know how to handle success yet. I'll get to Eddie Jackson in a bit, but they, this is a team that is getting used to being praised. They're getting used to living up to that praise. They're getting used to making big plays week in and week out. And frankly, at this point, they seem to need adversity to really come through. But Speaking on the offense, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about what an unbelievable day Tariq Cohen had and what an unbelievable catch Allen Robinson had. Allen Robinson, in my personal opinion, has been absolutely everything the Bears could have ever asked him to be as a $12 million wide receiver. He's been healthy enough. He's been a clear number one threat that draws coverage in his direction, and he'll make these astounding catches or over-the-middle third-down like catch and then immediately get hit kinds of plays that you need your number one wide receiver to make. And to that end, I've been really impressed with him, but Holy moly, Tariq Cohen, what a day he had. What else can you say about a 5'6 change of pace running back that goes out and catches 12 balls for 156 yards with a touchdown pass added to it? Not to take away from his 30 yards he also gained on the ground. Tariq Cohen did it all today. Tariq Cohen looked great today, and over the last three games, Tariq Cohen has made that halfback wheel route look absolutely unplayable. I'm curious to see what the Rams and other teams are going to do against it, because right now, nobody has an answer. Every time we run it, Tariq is wide open. Think about the touchdown that he caught in Detroit, the other touchdown that was out of his hands in Detroit. I mean, there's tons and tons of these wheel routes. Fourth down, we're talking fourth quarter, uh, big wheel route for big yardage up the sidelines. It is absolutely everywhere, and it's always up that right sideline too, so I wonder what that means. But anyways, Tariq Cohen had a heck of a day, and the Bears wouldn't have been as close as they were with him, but it ultimately wasn't enough. Jordan Howard also had 16 carries for 76 yards in a day that, unfortunately, people are going to look back and say, hey, this was one of Howard's better days, which is kind of a bummer because these used to be the only okay days for Jordan Howard, and now 16 for 76 is like, woohoo, Jordan, you did great. He lost yards on four of those 12 carries uh, or got zero yards, so... Another tough sledding day for Jordan Howard. I really can't tell you whether it's him or whether it's the scheme. It looks to me like it's a little of both. Jordan Howard used to be the feature player in this Bears offense, and he's clearly not anymore. Even Chase Daniel is featured over him. So I can't imagine that there's not some trouble going on between the Howard camp and the Bears camp themselves, and I tend to think this is the last year we'll see him in orange and blue. But 
with all of the offense's struggles, they still had a chance to win, and the other half of the team didn't hold up their end of the bargain either, talking about the defense. Any way you slice it, the Giants' offense isn't super great. In terms of yards per game, they rank 20th. In terms of points per game, they rank 19th. And so you'd really expect the current touted best defense in the NFL to absolutely swallow them on 10 days rest, right? Well, they didn't, especially in the second half, considering that that's where the Giants actually scored 17 of their points, not counting overtime. So what that means is the Giants scored 10 points in the first half and 17 in the second half. Now, 10 of those first half points came off of a Chase Daniels interception, so they really only scored three. Not to mention, all three of those points came after that infamous timeout from Matt Nagy, which, by the way, to speak on the timeout really quickly, it seemed to me that the Bears' defense was absolutely dominating. They just sacked Manning twice, and the Giants were sitting back, 40-ish seconds left on the clock, and they ended up handing it off to their running back. Now, while I understand that Saquon Barkley is an absolute beast and a wonderful football player to watch, that's not usually the play call that you expect to pick you up a magic 21 yards. Quality play call on the Giants' part, given that they gave it to their best player and he totally came through, but that's supposed to be a let's run some clock down before we punt it kind of play. And in that regard, I don't actually blame Nagy, so to speak. Just because they were winning doesn't mean that they're always going to be winning. Nagy's style of coaching is aggressive. Take a look at all the two-point conversions that he's calling nowadays. Look at everything that he's doing offensively. Look at the fact that on like one play left, three seconds in the game, he called a reverse back pass with his 5-6 running back. This guy is insane. This guy is aggressive. He's going to be the guy who tries to squeeze in an extra possession using a timeout. This time, it didn't work. But anyways, that means that they scored three points in the first half where they completely neutered Eli Manning, made him look absolutely awful, made it look like a waste of time to be playing him, and then allowed 17 in the second half? That doesn't sound like the number one defense to me. This is a defense that we know has really struggled in the fourth quarter, and we've blamed it all on garbage time. We've blamed it all on these games being out of hand, so there's no point to even worry about it. But here it is showing its ugly head again. Now in the third quarter that the Giants came out, they completely pantsed everybody in the world on that Odell Beckham Jr. touchdown pass. While I knew sitting in my couch that he was going to throw this ball, I also knew that OBJ could fake anything in the world and still run for a touchdown. So I don't blame the defense for completely keying on him and saying, oh, shoot, we got to help our guy go tackle him. And then Beckham made a great throw to a wide open player. That was just a quality play call. The right personnel, the right execution. That's a touchdown. But it's the touchdown drive afterwards that ought to be scrutinized, especially given that throughout the course of this game, slightly unrelated, Eddie Jackson didn't have a game at the level that we would commonly see him at, or at least not this season. Eddie Jackson's been absolutely tearing the league a new one uh, this season, picking off everything that he could, showing his unbelievable range, and using the vision that Brett Coleman broke down so well for us. Uh, if you haven't watched that thing yet, go find it on YouTube. Brett Coleman, he did a great show on Eddie Jackson. Highly recommend. But yeah, 
Jackson dropped, I know I saw one and I heard somebody else mention a second play that he could have had his hands on and he just didn't quite get enough of the ball. Uh, like like we talked about with the offense, this was a game where drops and mistakes just ended up coming back to haunt the Bears. Blown coverages here and there, underneath routes that were commonly covered earlier in the season that just ended up getting left open. It really did look like a team that sort of just got off the bus asleep, just like we saw after our bye, made a few too many mistakes here and there, and an NFL team punished them for it. I hope that they learn from this. I've seen in this Bears team adversity drives them and i've said that before i'll say it again they need something to play for when they had just lost to the patriots going up against the jets bills lions and vikings slate they knew that they had a playoff spot on the line right there at three and three and that if they didn't start winning games and winning games quickly they were going to get left out in the cold so they went and pounded the jets pounded the bills destroyed the lions and played a tough game against the vikings and then followed it up with another big win against the lions the week after that i have to think that the momentum just slipped a little bit that there wasn't quite enough gas left in the tank and that after that three games in 12 days stretch that we all saw and loved that they just didn't quite have it mentally they weren't locked in enough that's not excusable per se, but it doesn't mean that we have to worry about it like the sky is falling. They're still the same 8-4 and four team that beat the Vikings. They're still the same 8-4 and four team that contested the Patriots really intensely, and this Rams game, like I said last week, is ultimately going to be the litmus test of litmus tests. This game is going to show us whether they're real or not. The Vikings game showed us that they're clearly here to play for the division, but the question then becomes, can the Bears win a Super Bowl? Can they truly play at that high level? Can their defense perform at a lockdown level like the Cowboys did? Can their offense rise up and beat a struggling defense? Honestly, I don't know, but we'll see this Sunday, won't we? Because that Saints team looked like a completely different team in the face of a Cowboys defense that just punched them in the mouth and didn't relent. So I'm curious to see not only what the Bears are going to look like against the Rams, but what the Rams are going to look like against the Bears. But yeah, tying the knot on the Giants game really quickly. It's too bad we lost, definitely. Uh, nobody's stoked about that. But ultimately, I think that if the Bears are to go on a big run, this is exactly the kind of loss that they needed. I'd rather them lose to the Giants than lose to the Packers. I'd rather them lose to the Giants than lose to the 49ers. I'd rather them lose to the Giants than lose to the Vikings late in the season. While those all would have been comfortable, I don't think that mentally they would have been great right before the playoffs. Losing to the Giants now means that the Bears have to earn every yard, every win to get into the playoffs. And for a young team that does doesn't quite know how to sustain success for the sake of success yet, I think that's a healthy thing. It keeps them moving. It keeps them focused on finding themselves a spot in the dance. Not a first round buy, not extra vacation time, but a spot at the table altogether. It's going to be some really great high stakes football over the next four weeks, and it only makes it even better that we get one of the best teams in the NFL on Sunday night coming up. Then we get our hated rifles a week later. We take a break with the 49ers, and then should we need it, we go to Minnesota to figure out what this season's destiny is. But segueing back to the Rams game, I can't wait to watch this game. We've got a Sunday night tilt in Chicago where it's cold, where a warm weather team, the Los Angeles Rams, are going to come into the Bears building and see what they've got against the best defense in the NFL. 
are the Bears really the best defense in the NFL? Well, I guess we'll find out, won't we? The Rams have a stud in Todd Gurley. Jared Goff looks like a new man under coach Sean McVay. Plus, they've got a pretty solid duo of wide receivers left in Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks. Now, obviously, this team would be a lot more dangerous with Cooper Cup. But hey, everybody suffers injuries, and the Rams are still good, even if all they've got is Goff's safety blanket in Woods and the deep threat that is Brandon Cooks. Between Gurley, Cooks, Woods, Goff, and the rest of the Rams, this is still a great offense. And I'm really excited to see what they do against the Bears, because I actually don't know what they're going to do. I mean, just like we saw in the Super Bowl where the Broncos got absolutely slugged by the Seahawks, great offenses usually don't fare well against great defenses. Not to mention, this game seems somewhat reminiscent of when the Dallas Cowboys, a pseudo-dome team, visited the Bears a couple of years ago and absolutely got destroyed by Josh McCown. This is a really unfriendly environment that reeks of a wake-up call game, but I don't know. I mean, the Rams aren't 11-1 and on accident. They're a very, very, very good football team. So to suddenly just project with mad confidence that the Bears are going to crush them and, and that's that seems just foolhardy. The only real weakness that I think that the Rams offense has is actually their quarterback, kinda. So here's the deal. I watched Trubisky play with John Fox, and I saw Trubisky play well at times, flash well above what his coach wanted him to do at times, and play terribly at other times. It happens. That's what happens when you put a rookie with a coach that's extremely old school. Now, I also watched almost every highlight of Jared Goff. Oh, also plenty of lowlights playing with Jared Fisher. And you saw a lot of the same stuff. You saw the occasional really good play and a lot of really bad plays. Very similar to Trubisky. So here's the conclusion that I've reached with Goff. If Trubisky is a product of Nagy, Goff is a product of McVeigh. Now, that's not exactly sparkling, brand new analysis that I'm the first one to break, but here's, here's the catch. Where Trubisky is really, really good with his legs and struggles a little bit with his accuracy, I think Goff doesn't. Goff is a really, really, really good thrower of the football. He strikes me as the kind of guy that if you put a tire 30 yards out, he can put the ball through it, which is perfect for Sean McVay because McVay is able to say, look, we're going to run this play. You're going to get this guy open, throw it to him. And I've watched a lot of Rams football, and it is amazing. Every single throw that Goff makes, he's throwing to a guy who's wide open. I've really gotten the opinion, the more that I watch what the Rams are doing, that they're so offensively talented that they've right now got a quarterback that doesn't actually have to make any reads. He just has to make throws, and he's pretty good at making those throws. So that's where Goff is dangerous. I'm curious to see what uh, Fangio will do to bring pressure to him because he looked so bad against pressure uh, back in his Fisher days. Now, while McVeigh has done as much as he can to mask this, it looks like from what I'm seeing over at RamsOnDemand.com that Goff's pressure tendency hasn't really changed so far. In 2017, Goff sported a 110.1 quarterback rating when not under pressure, but once he was pressured, that dropped to a 61.6. 
and earlier in the season, now granted, my data is only valid through September 20th, he was sporting a 117.6 passer rating when he wasn't under pressure, and it dropped to a 28.6 passer rating when he was. What I saw when Goff played with Fisher was a guy who was able to make a lot of throws, but ultimately had very little feel for when edge rushers were coming around him. He certainly seemed to struggle with interior pressure, but every quarterback does. So the key to this Bears game is going to be whether their front four can consistently harass Goff. The Bears have to go from playing not so great against the Giants offensive line, one of the worst in football, to turning and facing a top 10 offensive line in football according to Sacks and what Pro Football Focus was calling one of the best offensive lines through week two and week four. Uh, So take your pick. The, the general consensus is that the Rams' offensive line is pretty darn good. The general consensus is also that the Bears' defensive line is really, really good. So we'll see what happens on this hopefully cold night in Chicago. I, for one, am shamelessly hoping for some defensive fireworks. Now, when it comes to the offensive portion of this game, we have two really interesting storylines to follow. One that more or less determines whether or not the Bears lose or have a chance is whether or not Trubisky plays. So, (laughs) when he got hurt, the majority of reports were that Mitch Trubisky would have played on Sunday against the Lions had the game been on Sunday. But it was on Thursday, so duh, Chase Daniels will play. Well, then a week went by and Mitch Trubisky didn't play against the Giants and the Bears lost. And now Matt Nagy is stuck saying that he's hopeful that Mitch will start against the Rams. I personally think that if Mitch doesn't start, there's no way they win this game unless they pull off some absolutely asinine Cowboys level defensive drubbing, which I mean, I guess it could happen. Uh, The Bears aren't going to be able to score enough points to contend with the Rams who just blow people away. Uh, That said, let's assume for now that Trubisky is going to play. I know that's burned me twice, but let's assume because otherwise I just don't think this is the same conversation. If Trubisky does play, you've got a Bears offense with the same kind of mind as McVay that is going to be going up against what, by points, is the 19th-ranked defense in the NFL. This Rams defense, despite being loaded top to bottom with playmakers with one of the best defensive players in football in Aaron Donald, isn't super great at keeping teams out of the end zone. It's not super great at keeping teams from kicking field goals. It's not super great at limiting yards. They make a lot of splash plays, and like we saw against the Chiefs, they made plays when it counts. That's not to discount this defense, but it is to point out that they give up an awful lot of points. And so if the Bears are going to be looking to compete against a playoff-level team, this is the time to test their mettle, to see whether this offense can take advantage of a defense that shouldn't be good enough to completely shut them down. This isn't the Vikings. This isn't a team that has a really, really, really good defensive unit that has consistently performed like we saw the Vikings do in 2017. This is a defense that's actually trending in the other direction, in that while they're loaded with talent, they just can't seem to perform at that high level. When the numbers after 12 weeks say that you're the 19th best defense in the NFL according to points, You might just be a below-average defense, and the Bears' offense has very little excuse not to go out and victimize this defense and score at least 28-31 points with Mitch Trubisky at the helm. Rusty or not, these Bears need their quarterback to come back and perform at a high level and keep himself safe. 
While I know he makes great plays with his legs and I hope that he still gives the Bears a positive edge with them, I do hope he also takes care of himself and watches out for the other Harrison Smiths of the world that might be looking to hurt him. We can't afford to lose him for too long of a stretch. The occasional game with Daniel is okay. That's what we're paying him that $5 million for. But he's not the long-term starter and we can't afford that. Ultimately, though, I do think that it's actually going to be Mitch's mobility that gives him the edge against this Rams team. His ability to stay alive in the pocket and extend plays is really, really cool. And as he gains familiarity in this offense, he's going to be able to make maybe not Rodgers-esque plays, but some pretty special and flashy moments where he evades this sack, runs around that tackler, and then throws it downfield for a bunch of yards. Right now, he'll do the first two parts, and then he won't throw the ball. Uh, but even against this Rams team that has a ton of pass rushers, I think that ultimately his mobility may very well be what keeps him off the turf. And any Thing that keeps him off the turf gives him a better chance to find more yards through the air or run and pick up some yards on the ground. With Tariq Cohen's current resurgence, I expect him to play pretty doggone well. Uh, I think Allen Robinson's looking to be healthy. That's great. Taylor Gabriel, hopefully he can bounce back from that very rough game against the Giants. And then Anthony Miller is a stud. I can't wait to see what he does against these Rams, even though him and Chase Daniel weren't quite on the same level that him and Trubisky have been on. I think the Bears have the weapons to compete with this Rams team. I think on paper, this is a lot closer game than an 8-4 and four team playing an 11-1 and one team might look. I'd actually even give the Bears the edge on paper, but if you're asking me to pick it right now, I have to go with the... No, no, you know what? I'm going to be a homer for a moment here. I think the Bears win. I think they win by two points. That's it. I think home field makes all the difference in the world. A seven-day forecast that I'm looking at tells me that Chicago is projected to have a 32-degree high and a 25-degree low with an 8-mile-an-hour wind. And I think that on a Sunday night, that's going to be really, really cold, especially if the Bears do what they've been doing and they come out swinging, they get a sack or two, they score a touchdown, and suddenly the Rams look up and they're in a game that they've been in a lot. They've certainly been losing before this season, but I think that the chill might get to them a little bit, that this is a game that certainly is set up in their schedule that they very well may lose. It won't be that big a deal to them, but it'll mean all of the world to the Chicago Bears. I'll take them. I'll take them in a close one by two. For those of you who have the luxury of attending the game, please go cheer your heart out. Stay safe out there. I'm sure we're going to see that classic Chicago guy with his shirt off in the cold weather. Being from Dallas, I don't know how any of y'all do that men or women and bearing with that cold so thank you get out there get loud show your pride and go bears should be a good one so let me segue now into the rest of the nfl section where i, I gotta come clean after that first week where i was like i don't i don't know the numbers something like 13 for 15 i got pretty excited i got pretty high on myself and that was a total mistake because I got destroyed this week. I got nine of the 16 game picks right, and I only got one of the 16 score picks right. So while it wasn't a great week for me in predictions, it was a week full of phenomenal, unexpected football that rarely went according to script. And honestly, that's why we watch this sport, is because things can jump up and surprise you out of absolutely nowhere, and it's what makes it all exciting and worth watching. We'll see if we can keep the length down a little bit, so when it comes to both reactions and future predictions, I'll try to keep it short and snappy. 
We'll start off with the Saints at the Cowboys. And the Saints, while I predict them to win by 10 or more, uh, the Cowboys actually came away with this one 10-13 to 13 in a thriller that went down to the wire. The Saints could not get any offense against these Cowboys. The Cowboys' defensive line owned a really, really great Saints offensive line and kept the Saints running backs to just under 75 yards on 18 carries. This put all the onus on Drew Brees, who has been playing like an MVP candidate but just didn't have anything this time around. Mad props goes to the Cowboys' secondary, who locked down what had formerly looked like a really, really stout group of wide receivers that will likely come back with plenty more great games in front of them. But this Cowboys' defense just took it to the Saints. When you score 10 points in an NFL game, you're probably going to lose. And Dak Prescott and the boys did just enough to edge out the Saints and really keep their NFC East title hopes alive. Next up was the Bears losing to the Giants 27-30. And as we said, a bummer, a disappointing game for fans, but ultimately... Hopefully it's inconsequential as the season goes. It was miraculous that the Bears rallied it all, uh, showed that they are who we think they are, uh, even though they dropped a game on the road. Obviously not what you want to see. Oh, well. Moving on to the Packers facing the Cardinals in Lambeau. The Cardinals pulled it off. And you know what? Despite some major flaws in his game, Josh Rosen looked like a guy who could grow into a franchise quarterback. Sorta. He's not played amazingly well, but he did make some key throws like that throw to Larry Fitzgerald on the final drive of the game. And Mason Crosby misses another kick as the Mike McCarthy era ends with a bang in week 13 of the NFL season 2018. It's been a long, long ride for McCarthy and Rodgers, and I'm personally really, really interested to see what Aaron Rodgers and this Green Bay Packer team looks like without Mike McCarthy. Because as a Bears fan that started in 06, he's actually the only Packer coach that I have ever known. So it's a little weird to see him go. Uh, I think that Packer fans are being really, really, really angry at him for a full team's fault. But I digress. Either way, sad to see you go, Coach McCarthy. Uh, wish you the best, of course. And I'm curious as to whether Aaron can back up all his talk about how he effectively carries a franchise. Because if you really read between the lines, he has blamed a lot on everybody that isn't him. So we'll see what the Packers do going forward. But I don't know. Next up, the Colts lost 0-6 to in a totally unexpected shutout that saw debatably the hottest team in the NFL lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars starting Cody Kessler. Not a lot to say here. The Colts just didn't play well enough. You can't score zero points. And I guess credit to the Jags for grinding out six. Credit to the Jags defense, who just stonewalled the Colts offense, obviously. The Colts asked Luck to throw it over 50 times once more, but this time it just wasn't enough. Even though he completed 60% of his passes, they just they just didn't find enough points. Again, obviously. I mean, they scored none. Uh, not a whole lot else to say here. I think the Colts are still legit and the Jags are still not, but it remains to be seen whether the Colts will be able to get their season back on track. They're sitting at 6-6. Six and six. They got a big game against the Texans next week and a big, big, big game against the Cowboys the week after that. They probably need at least one win, maybe even both, so we'll see. 
Next up, the Texans beat the Browns soundly 29-13 in Houston as they moved to 9-3 and and the Browns slipped down to 4-7-1. and A good team beat a bad team this time around. There's not a ton to say about it. This was one that I did predict right. Uh, the Browns just didn't quite have enough against a really, really, really good Texans team that came to play. Kudos to them. They moved to 9-3 and on the season. And I'll be darned if they aren't just the runaway train that can't be stopped. They've got nine straight wins. I don't know who's going to beat them, but we'll see. Big tilt against the Colt next week. Uh, the Panthers then lost the Buccaneers, who really seem to have their number. I saw a stat on around Wednesday, well after I'd recorded my podcast, uh, predicting the Panthers, that talked about how the Buccaneers tend to have their number, and I, I got worried. <laughs> Turns out my worries were pretty well-founded. Uh, Jameis actually had a pretty darn good game. I expected a lot worse out of him as the Panthers struggled away from home. Certainly didn't help anything that Cam Newton hurt his shoulder, and the Panthers suddenly are looking at 6-6, six and six, and what was once a surefire lock-it-in playoff team doesn't look so certain anymore. With two games against the Browns and the Falcons left on the season, they have a real shot at getting eight fairly standard wins, but the issue is those other two games are both against the Saints. So, clearly for Carolina, the road to the playoffs lies through New Orleans, and that is a scary road to have to walk. The Bills then visited the Dolphins and lost 17-21 as what looks to me like Josh Allen played his butt off. Threw for over 200 yards, ran for over 100. Yeah, he had two picks, but he also had two TDs as once again, he looks like one of the only players that the Bills can actually use most of the time. Zay Jones is coming along, though. He had four catches for 68 yards and two scores, but this game was really all about the fact that Buffalo couldn't quite get out of its own way, and Miami executed when they absolutely had to. Uh, Buffalo actually outgained the Dolphins 400-plus yards to 175, but that didn't stop them from losing by four, did it? A bad team lost to a pretty decent team. And I'm curious to see what happens to Adam Gase in the offseason because I really don't think the Dolphins are going to be able to make the playoffs. They've got to win games against the Patriots and the Vikings to do so. That seems way too tall of a task for this Dolphins team. So I tend to think that they'll be watching the playoffs on their TVs at home this year. Let's pick up the pace a little bit as we'll get to the Broncos and Bengals and a sliding Bengals team lost by 14 to a Broncos team that came out and did what they needed to do. Case Keenum ain't special, but he's better than that. Moving on. The Ravens went into Atlanta and they came out with a 10-point victory as Atlanta just didn't look like they showed up at all. They looked burnout. They looked sad. Frankly, they look like the Bengals as this Lamar Jackson thing keeps moving on. I wish the best for the guy. I'm surprised he's still running the ball 17 times a game. I mean, that is <laughs> that is so bad that for a guy's career. I hope he learns to throw the football 125 yards. Isn't going to get it done against teams that aren't like Atlanta against like good teams but hey I mean credit to them they had to go in and your job is to get a win they did moving from there uh, the Rams pounded the Lions 30 to 16 it was a fairly standard fair game as the Lions just couldn't quite muster enough to keep up with the Rams who scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter to well and truly put away the game good win for the Rams another loss for the Lions and this one's in the books the Huntless Chiefs then beat the Raiders 40-33, to as you can clearly see that Kansas City's defense is starting to catch up with them a little bit. The Raiders, 2-10, and put up 33 on the Chiefs, and they were at home, so, you know, kudos to them for doing that. But this is a defense that's going to struggle against better offenses than the Raiders, who, if we distill it down to points scored, are 28th in the NFL. 
if the 28th ranked offense in the NFL is out there scoring 33 on you, you're going to be in trouble when a team like the Rams or the Saints come into town. We'll see how they do, but I'm thinking that we may be seeing the signs of the classic Chiefs collapse, and it very well may have to do with defense, defense, defense. The Titans then beat the Darnoldless Jets 22 to 26, and you know what? Don't look now, but the six and six Titans may actually have a shot at a playoff spot. Their next four games are against the Jaguars at home, against the Giants away, and against the Redskins at home before facing the Colts at home. Those four games are all winnable to a degree, especially if they can beat those Colts at the end of the year. This is a big one, and this division could get surprisingly tight if the Titans just take care of business. And speaking of taking care of business, the Patriots at home washed out the Giants 10-24 to in a game that, frankly, if we really think about it, we kind of could have expected. The Vikings this season, I don't know why, because their roster is loaded. It's basically the same roster with a quarterback upgrade that rolled over the league for 13 wins and three losses last year. And here they are looking like pretenders. But, but we're here. Uh, Kirk Cousins played fine. Not, not really good enough, actually. Uh, but all right. I mean, he wasn't entirely to blame for this loss, but the Patriots just flabbergasted him. They flabbergasted the whole offense. Dave Filippo did not do a good enough job calling the offense, even as the Patriots offense was limited to a paltry 24 points, which that's no small amount, but you hope that your offense can overcome the Patriots defense for more than 10. A really classic Patriots win. They snuff out a pretender, and I just, the Vikings have a tough road to the playoffs as it stands they probably have to go through the bears which isn't what they want so moving on from there we've got the 49ers losing to the seahawks not a lot to say here seahawks keep rolling they have just been dominating people absolutely flaying folks and they flayed the 49ers Next up, the Chargers went into Pittsburgh and walked out with a win as they won 33-30. And don't look now, but the formerly super tough, super strong Pittsburgh Steelers have now totally failed to finish in two consecutive games, losing to the Broncos and the Chargers. Neither is a bad team, but for a team whose eyes are on the prize, looking at the Super Bowl, this isn't a good sign. The Steelers, who went into halftime with a convincing 23-7 lead, allowed way too many points in that second half, and Phillip Rivers played his butt off. The rest of the offense, kudos to them. They did what good teams do, even in the wake of losing Melvin Gordon. They didn't complain. They found a way, and they came out with a win. Kudos to the Chargers. This team is a dangerous, dangerous team to watch. And then, I don't know anything about this game. This one always wraps up during recording, but the Eagles beat the Redskins. It looks like they beat them fairly soundly. I saw that it was 13-14 to 14 at half, and then it looks like the Eagles just tacked on two more late touchdowns to make it a 13-28 game. Both teams are sitting at 6-6, six and six, which isn't really good enough considering that the Cowboys just beat the Saints. So we'll see how this NFC East shakes out, but it's certainly going to be an interesting one. And with that, let's get into the predictions section of the evening as we go through all of the Week 14 games and project who's going to win and by how much. So that's what you'll be hearing, the team and the points. Just like last week, I'll say as little as I can before giving the verdict and moving on in an effort to save a little bit of time. So, first up, we've got the Jaguars visiting the Titans on Thursday Night Football, and I think the Titans win by about five. The Titans can score more than six, right? Right? 
as long as they can muster even a decent offensive performance against a really good Jaguars defense, don't get me wrong, they should be able to win this game. Cody Kessler is who he is. He's a backup, and he's he's an only okay one, and the Jaguars offense is only okay. Only okay backup quarterback plus only okay offense in general, you're not going to get a great offensive performance. Titans can score 16 points, they'll win. Moving on. Next up, the Panthers visit the Browns, and I think the Browns win this by three. This seems like a game where Newton's shoulder gives out. Mayfield bounces back to me. Uh, I think we'll see a nice performance from Mayfield. The Panthers wilt away from home, and their playoff chances die in Week 14. Next game on the docket is Ravens visiting the Chiefs, and I'm going to take the Chiefs by three. It seems like it's going to be a close game. The Chiefs' defense would certainly have me worried. But I just can't trust Lamar yet against a 10-2 and Chiefs team. I like Pat Mahomes and their offense more than I like the Ravens' offense in a straight shootout. Not to mention, it's still in Kansas City. It's still on their turf. You may eventually catch me picking against the Chiefs at home, but it won't be today. Next, we got the Colts at the Texans, and I can't not pick the Texans. I'll take them by seven. A tight game, but I think the better team's going to win as the Colts do absolutely everything they can to hang on to a playoff spot. But with that loss in Jacksonville, if they're going to bounce back, they better bounce back hard and fast. This is going to be a bitter game all the way down to the end. I think the Texans pull away from it, pick up that seven points, kind of based off insurance and Hail Mary stuff, but seven points nevertheless, that's what I'm going to land on. Next up, I think the New England Patriots are going to take the Miami Dolphins season. They're going to drag it behind the shed, and they're going to put a bullet in its brain as they beat them by 10 or more. The Patriots just do not play with their divisional food. And with the Dolphins sitting at 6-6 six and six, and the Patriots only a few wins away at 9-3, and three, I think the Patriots are going to put that extra distance, grab that division title, and call it a season. They don't play around when it comes to their division. You just watch. Next up, I'm, I'm going to recant what I said last week. The Giants have more players than I thought they did. The Skins still don't have a quarterback. I'll take the Giants in Washington by three. Uh, I think they'll do just enough, and Pat Shermer and the boys will figure out how to impress their fans even just a little bit going into what I think is one of the more obvious quarterback draft picks that we've got this year. The Saints then visit Tampa Bay, and I'm going to take the Saints by 10. I don't think Jameis will have two great games in a row. I'm not expecting Lightning to strike twice, so even though I might get burned by it, I'm going to pick against them. Saints by 10, not a close game. They get revenge on the earlier loss this year. Moving on from there, the saddest Falcons team to ever exist is going to walk into Lambeau and lose by three. It, it will be a closer game, I think, than plenty expect because too many people are still looking at the Packers, seeing Aaron Rodgers, and saying, God, that guy's amazing. That team must be amazing, and they've got amazing potential. They're not good this year. They're not. I don't think changing your coach midseason is just going to magically fix that, and I'm more than willing to be proven wrong. But I do think that we are going to see a fiery Aaron Rodgers that refuses to lose this game in particular. The playoff hopes are probably gone. I mean, we've got too many tough games left on the season for them to make the playoffs, especially after losing to Arizona. But the Falcons aren't a very good football team this year, and I think they lose this game. The Jets and Darnold, who looks to be coming back, then visit the Bills in Buffalo, and I think that a rusty Darnold isn't going to be enough to beat a growing Josh Allen and Zay Jones combo. I see good things for Allen. I think he'll make his consistent mistakes, but he's looked like a player, and all you can do is look like a player when you're on a bad team. I think the Bills do enough, and they win this one by seven.
From there, the Cincinnati Bungles visit Los Angeles. And I just, I mean, do I even have to explain this one? The Chargers are so, so good. And the Bengals have played so, so bad. The wheels are off. The quarterback's gone. Everything's bad. Everything's sad. I think the Chargers win by 10 or more. Uh, I don't think this is really worth explaining any further. Uh, I also don't think that the Broncos win over the 49ers is all too hard to explain. The Seahawks rolled up this team. Almost every team recently has started to. Um, the 49ers are playing as hard as they can, but they really don't have much that they can offer from a football perspective. The Broncos have been playing solid football of late. I think they keep going in their direction. Next up, we've got one of the harder games to call of the evening. I'm going to take Dallas by one as the Eagles face the Cowboys, but it's it's close. Not only do you have the bitter rivalry that is Philadelphia playing Dallas, but this is a must-win game for the Eagles as they face the Rams next week, already sitting at 6-6 six and six, with the Cowboys having a game in hand. The Cowboys have a relatively easy road down the stretch too, so if the NFC East is going to be anybody other than Dallas's division, this is the week that Philadelphia has to earn it. I think they know that, I think Dallas knows that, and it's in Dallas. This is, in my opinion, a must-watch football game if you can afford to watch it. It's going to be a good game, and it's going to be a massive window into seeing who's going to be coming out of the NFC East come playoff time. From there, the Steelers visit Oakland, and this is this is a team that struggles away from home in the Steelers, playing a team that doesn't have a home in the Las Vegas Raiders. So I'm going to take the Steelers by four in a clunky game. Now, I want to point out that the Steelers have every ability to just blow this prediction away and win by like 30 in a killing, but I don't think they do. They've been struggling too much of late. The Steelers have a tendency to go down before they go up. I think they go down for one more week before playoff time kicks things in gear and they start to put the pieces back together. Steelers by four. Then I'll take Detroit by seven against Arizona as Detroit is probably the best 4-8 and eight football team in the NFL. Now, that's not a title that anybody wants to be wearing. Everybody obviously wants to win more than that. But I don't think Arizona's ready to win back-to-back -back NFL games yet, and I think the Lions are hungry coming off of a tighter Rams game than it looked, at least. So I'll take the Lions in this one by 7. Uh, then I've got Chicago by one. As you heard, it's all homer points. I love the Bears. Go Bears. And I think they may very well just pull it out against the Rams. If they don't, I'll be bummed. So will we all. And then uh, the Vikings against Seahawks. I can't pick the Vikings. I want to pick the Vikings, but I can't. Seattle, and I think they get it by seven. You got the 12th man. You got Russell Wilson. And I just don't see Kirk and the boys stopping this Seattle playoff train from rolling all the way into playoff station. I'm well aware that this means that a Vikings team that just isn't that bad at football would suddenly fall to 6-6-1, six, six, and one. but, I mean, shoulder shrug. They're not going to beat the Seahawks. The Seahawks are too good for that. So anyways, those are my predictions for Week 14. Curious to see how they go. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions about the show, hit me up on Twitter, rschmitz28, rschmitz28. Uh, happy to field any questions. Send me stuff, and I will report it on the air with your username. Happy to do that. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for bearing with me. This is Robert Schmitz signing off. <laughs>